Bible study this morning. We're headed to Genesis 3. Genesis 3. While you're turning there, let me see how you do it with just a few odds and ends questions of what we're doing here on the 4th of July. It was the day when the Revolutionary War began. British surrender at Yorktown. Declaration of Independence was written or was adopted. Constitution ratified or first national elections. Which one? It was going to be D, not written, but adopted. Here we go. Which of our founding fathers said, give me liberty or give me death? Washington, Jefferson, Henry, Franklin, Arnold, or John Wayne? C is absolutely right. Uh, according to the Declaration of Independence, where does the government get its power? Constitution, military, elected reps, tax collection agency, or consent of the governed? It is going to be E, the consent of the governed, okay, according to the Declaration. How many delegates signed the Declaration of Independence? One of these numbers. It is D. Wow, you guys are sharp. Here we go. On what day did most of the delegates sign the Declaration of Independence? July 2, 4th, August 2nd, September 6th, December 25th. It is C. When most of the delegates came back afterwards and signed it, was C. Here we go. Who is the primary author of the Declaration? Jefferson, Franklin, Adams, Lee, or Abraham Lincoln? Jefferson. Very good. And who said at the adoption of the Declaration, all of us shall hang together or more assuredly will hang separately? Jefferson, Franklin, Adams, Washington, Judas, or the stick man? It was Franklin. Yeah, absolutely. It was Franklin. What newspaper was the first to print the Declaration of Independence? Philadelphia Paper, New York Times, Washington Post, the Philadelphia, Pennsylvania Evening Post, National Enquirer, Boston Herald, or Lebanon Daily News? It, I, I don't think it's A. Yeah, it's Pennsylvania, which comes, guess where the Pennsylvania Evening Post was published? Philadelphia. They had two papers going at the time, so... Um, one more, I think. When were fire? No, two more. When were fireworks first used to celebrate the Fourth of July? Seventy-six, seventy-seven years later. D. D. Nope. A. A. Nope. B. B is right. Congress adopted on the first anniversary to celebrate with bonfires and fireworks. Who was the only president to be born on July Fourth? Reagan, Trump, Johnson, Coolidge, Buchanan, Lincoln, Adams? John Quincy Adams is not right. None of them? Is that what you said? No, John Adams did. His father did. They died on the 4th, and remember who else did? Thomas Jefferson. They both died on, on the uh, anniversary. Yeah. C, James Buchanan? I don't think so. But he's famous for visiting here in Lebanon, right? Yeah. Who do you say? Lyndon Johnson? No. D, I think it's Coolidge. Yeah. Yeah, if I remembered right. Oh, we have a couple more. July 4th is also known to be the day of the year when these things happen more than any other day of the year. Let's just take them one by. Um, is July 4th the day when most collect phone calls are made? This is old, okay, when phone calls used to be made this way. What day is it? It's now Mother's Day. It's now Mother's Day. Which day gets the most collectible used to get? It was Father's Day. It used to be Father's Day. More fires are reported. July 4th, yes or no? July 4th. 
most car crash fatalities? July 4th. More hot dogs eaten. July 4th. Has the most, most birthdays in the U.S. This is about 10 years ago. Uh, most birthdays. No, it's October something, October 5th. Has the most deaths. It's not July 4th. Do you know what date it is? Uh, January 1st or December 25th? December 25th. Most parties. You know what day it is? January 1. Okay. Most barbecues, July 4th? Yeah, absolutely. Here we go. We're in Genesis 3. If you're visiting with us, now what we've done is last week I wasn't here because it was on the missions trip, but uh, we're wanted, I just want to remind everybody where we were the last couple weeks, okay, so that we can pick up. And so bear with me for a couple minutes as you do a little bit of review, okay? In the study that we're talking about angels and demons, here's where we've focused so far. We've talked about that the angels are superior to people. Okay, that men are made a little lower than the angels. And originally when the angels were all made, they were all good. But some chose to follow Satan in a rebellion that's described in Isaiah and Ezekiel. And the good angels continued to follow God and serve him. They remained loyal. The good angels, we talked about the last time we met and the week before that, they followed the Lord and they served the Lord in multiple different capacities. Some are involved with worship. Some were involved with revealing his will, his word. Some ministered to Jesus physically during his life. Some ministered to the saints, protecting, providing for them, giving them direction telling them to get flee to Egypt because of Herod's uh, attacks. Some would carry out judgments. The book of Revelation, the angels are carrying out God's judgments upon the world in chastisement for their rebellion against God as well as to bring about conversions for those who would be receptive to the word that's being preached at that time. So the angels are very active okay, in our physical world in the spiritually ministering in multiple ways. In fact, what we talk about these good angels, we we know that Hebrews tells us that the good angels are ministering to the saints, um, care, protection, behind the scenes. Uh, they work in politics. Uh, I don't know which party they work for, but they work in politics, and they influence things of that, of that sort. And so we know that they're very active. Now, what about the demons? What about, what about Satan? We've been asking this question, are they real? And the answer is, absolutely. Who told us about them? Who talked about him that we said him alone talking about it makes it a sure thing? The Lord Jesus, he talked about them. What do, they, what do they do is some of the questions we're talking about. How should we think about them and interact with them? Is it okay to do the Ouija board and try to communicate with the spirits? Okay, now that's some of the things that we have to practically talk about, which we will as we get through some of this. What are some of the tactics? This is where I want to go today. It is important today and next week. It is important for us that if we are going to defend ourselves against spiritual attacks, that we know which areas the attacks might come. Okay, where in the scriptures, how did Satan and his demons, how did they attack believers? And we're not supposed to be ignorant of his devices. To defend ourselves, we need to be aware of what he does, how he works, so that we're more intelligent and prepared. Now let's talk about Satan. What do we know about him? We talked about in the last couple of weeks that he is real. We talked about that he is an individual. He is not a force. He is not an a, um, influence. He is an actual being, an anointed cherub that has become corrupt, who revolted after creation. He is still very powerful. Though he has not retained his position of pleasing God and serving the Lord, he has retained a lot of his power. 
and his wisdom and his, um, his abilities that way now that are perverted. We made the comment that scriptures describes him with different adjectives, different descriptive titles and how they show, every one of them shows how corrupt he is, how evil he is. In fact, the names that we talked about and listed in your notes a couple weeks ago, that we showed how his names are revealing what his character is like, what he is like, his personality, his, his persona, his goals, his purpose. And so, obviously, by his names and descriptive terms, he is totally corrupt and he's dangerous, absolutely dangerous to us. His focus is basically can be put this way. He's opposing Jesus Christ, opposing God Almighty. He opposed very clearly any evangelistic effort in the Bible as well as today. False teachers um, doing, doing um, uh, presenting false doctrines. In fact, it says in the latter days, some will depart following after doctrines of demons. And so when he gives this, this false message, he can, he can wrap it up in good appearance, religious, uh, phenomenal. In fact, we, we make this comment that as he's opposing God, even in the end times in particular, and opposing God's people, the Jews, that Satan has the ability to do miracles. We were visiting on Thursday, Wednesday, Thursday morning. We were visiting Fatima. You've heard about Fatima, and the groups that have gone with us have seen him. And one of the teens asked, asked uh, the missionaries we were working with, Mark and Ora Pereira, they asked him a good question. They said, what really happened? Was there really an appearance of the Virgin Mary to those three shepherd children? Now, understand, those three shepherd children were very devout kids, they, like many other children in that era, that uh, they, would, they were um, wrapped up in wanting to see Mary, wanting to have a religious experience. So these kids, they didn't eat normal. They didn't take water normally. By the way, if you're in a desert area, which this area was, it's an arid area and you're not drinking water, what could you do? You could hallucinate, okay. And um, these kids also were in their mindset. We're talking about kids, I think they were 8, 9, and 11 were their ages, if I'm not mistaken. They would take hemp rope and they would tie it tight around their waist until they would bleed from the, you know, the, the uh, scraping of it, okay, because they were doing this for Jesus. So if that mindset that they're in pain, and we're talking little kids doing this, Okay, and not eating and drinking, could they have seen something that was just pure in their mind? Sure. Could they have seen something real? Could it have been, could it have been an appearance of something actually happening that it was a real thing? Now, here's what happens over the years. Now, in that Fatima story, that started like in May or March, and every 13th of the month until October 13th of that 1917 when it was happening that year, that the Virgin Mary would give messages. She predicted that the world war would end. She predicted that communism was the evil of the world. She gave them other messages. A lot of those messages, if you recall, were hidden away until Pope John Paul opened it up uh, years later. But um, in, in some of that, on, she announced that on October 13th of 1917 would be her last appearance. Thousands of thousands of people came. And they call it the miracle of the sun. Do you ever remember hearing about this? She said that she would show a miracle because many times as she appeared to those three children, the dozens and hundreds of people standing watching could not see her. 
but the kids would say they saw her. But she said on October 13th, she would do something that everybody would see a miracle. And so on that day, they have pictures of it in the newspaper. They have accounts from hundreds and hundreds of people that they say they saw the sun grow real big, grow real small, grow real big, grow real small, and then it bounced around the sky. Okay, and so they've got this documented. You go into the museum there at, at the cathedral and they have the newspaper articles about how they're interviewing people that say they saw this. Is it possible that there was something miraculous happening that day? Yes, I, I believe that in my heart. I believe that that can happen. Now, I don't believe that that in that situation was of God because the message is totally contrary to Scripture's. The message that was given is you pray to me, the Virgin Mary, and I will get you forgiveness of sins. Does that complement the Bible? Does that contradict the Scriptures? It absolutely contradicts. And I've told you about it before, the one, one picture in the gallery that absolutely drives me nuts. It's a picture that it shows Pentecost, and it has all the apostles around the Virgin Mary. She's real big, they're real small. And it says, waiting for the Holy Spirit. And then the next picture, it shows that same setting, same people, but the Holy Spirit has arrived. And guess who's the only one in this picture that has the Holy Spirit? It's Mary. Okay. That contradicts the Bible, yes? Okay. And so, uh, could, could demonic forces use religion like that with false teachings to try to confuse people to turn away from Christ? Absolutely. Could some of the miracles that happen at Fatima, at Lourdes, could there really be healings taking place? Sure. Sure, why not? We know that's, that Satan could duplicate miracles by God. We know that when he counterfeits them, like he did with, um, with the plagues, it was to confuse and to keep people from going to the truth. To say, well, it doesn't happen today. Why? Are we that? Are we in a time period that we are more spiritual? than in those days? I don't think so. And so, is it possible that some of those things could really be happening? That people could be experiencing miracles so they put their faith not in Christ but in something else? Well, that's what the Bible's indicating and if you look at some of the verses that we have up here, how blinding, stealing the word, that's part of Satan's business and in fact, 2 Corinthians 11 says that his ministers appear as angels of light. They don't appear as, you know, Hollywood has Satan, you know, anything with Satan has spewing all kinds of weird stuff, heads spinning and all that. But in the Bible, it indicates that, and, and by the way, that's true. Could somebody have supernatural strength and try to inflict pain upon their body if they were demon-possessed? That, that's true. That can happen. But more often in the scriptures, it's by deception. It's by counterfeit. And so there's a strong possibility that those things are real and that demons are behind some of that to counterfeit and confuse people and to get people to worship that which isn't true according to scriptures, worshiping, which, by the way, you understand that around 2000, Mary was declared to be the mediatrix of heaven. What's mediatrix the feminine form for? Mediator. And what does 1 Timothy 2.5 say? There is... One mediator between God and man, and it, uh, and it is the man, Christ Jesus. But in that religious system, they have declared that Mary is the mediatrix of heaven. 
and that she is the one you go to and she has more power to persuade because she is kinder and gentler than Jesus and God the Father. So that's confusion. That's counterfeit. But it looks beautiful. It looks grand. And it looks phenomenal because if people make religion, we go big. We go grand. We go beautiful. And so that's why that's, some of that is, okay, some of that activity, I think it's very much we're involved with the spirit world when we walk into a place like that and see things. And it, to me, I find it very, very spiritually oppressive. So when we're talking about Satan now, let's go back to the very beginning of when he did his attacks. And let's start at Genesis 3 and look how he tempted Adam and Eve and what he did with them because we're not to be ignorant of his devices lest he get an advantage. So let's go back and let's see, okay, is, is, as he started off his very first attack on humankind, what did he do? What methods did he employ so that we would be wiser so as we resist? Genesis 3 is the picture of the fall. It is the portrait that God gives of why they fell. And when we go back there, we have to ask ourselves a question. Why did God include the story of the fall in the Garden of Eden? Why would he bother doing that? I think there's several reasons. I'm going to highlight three of them for you. Okay? Reasons that are not in order of importance, but they're ordered here in this way. We needed to know how did sin enter into the human race. That's important. For by one man sin entered and all became sinners. Even so by one man righteousness comes. And so we needed to know this. How did we as human beings become infected with sin? So it's important from God's point of view to say, this is what I did, and here's how man rebelled, here's how sin entered the human race. So historically, theologically, it's important. It's to show the original readers, who were the Jews, getting the story firsthand, as well as us even following. I think there's a warning in this text. It's a warning passage to say what happens when we give in to temptation. It's very practical to see, okay, when we give in to temptation, that looks good. The promises are great. Sin is always dangerous, giving in at all times. And so that's important. The third, re the third thought I have from the text, and you probably have better thoughts, is it shows us how Satan attacks. God records conversation for us, so we get an idea of not just that it happened and explain how sin came, but exactly how did Satan work? What did he do? And as we go through the passage and just look at little things, let's catch the scene and let's make observations for our benefit. Verse 1, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made, and he said to the woman, Yea, hath God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And she said to him, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God hath said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. The serpent said unto the woman, You shall not surely die. For God does know that the day in which you, thereof, you eat thereof, your eyes shall be opened, and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and the tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also to her husband with her, and he did eat. The eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed the fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. Let's back up a little bit. Let's get the scene of where God gave them these commands about the garden. Go back to chapter 2, verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may, what? Freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat of it. For in the day that you eat thereof, 
you shall okay surely die okay those are those are important words we're going to come back to those and make some comparisons in a moment okay let's let's just do this let's make the observations being careful with satan because he attacks even good strong people in if we were to describe for ourselves okay adam and eve in what ways would you say they are good strong people what's that okay they're pure there's no sin found in them yes no there's, there's, there's nothing. They're good. They're, they're a blank slate for purity. What else do you know about them? What'd you say? In fact, what do they do with God on a regular basis? They walk with Him in the garden. What'd you say, Lloyd? Oh, they're, they're, are they aware of God's commands? Or is this kind of like, oh, I didn't know. The sin of ignorance. Okay, they're totally aware. Anything else? Okay, God called them good. Anything else that you would look and say, they have no excuse? There was nothing evil in the world. There's nothing, there's nothing to, to distract them. I mean, what in the world, I don't mean the phrase, the, <laughs> what in that world would draw them towards evil besides Satan? Is there anything that could tempt them? No, there's nothing. Okay. Um, why do some people steal? Why, does, why do good people steal at times? Could be the thrill. Need. Right? Some people get themselves into a situation that they feel the need is too great. Why do some people give up on trusting the Lord? The trials are too big. The health issues. In that regard, what, have, what does Adam and Eve have? They have no excuse why. What, what about their needs? There's none. What about the trials and troubles that they have? What about the hard work that they have to do? Their work isn't difficult. Not like you guys. Okay, so you start looking and say, okay, they're very mature individuals. These are not young kids. Okay, we know that they're, they're, they're older than young kids because they were old enough to, what's that? To have children, to procreate. God had already told them, you know, be fruitful and multiply. So we know that they're mature physically. Are they stupid people? How do you know that they're intelligent? Now remember, remember, early man is backwards and ignorant. We are the epitome of intelligence. That's what, the, that's what evolution says, yes? Are Adam and Eve dumb people? How do you know that? They name the animals, and we can't even pronounce half the names. Okay. Okay. God made them intelligent. Okay. There's no marring on it. So they're highly intelligent individuals. They have, by, this is important, they have reasoning powers. They understand what God said better than you and I do. Okay. They live in a perfect environment. They had all that they need. They had good influences all around them. Okay. Even had that, like you said, that, that walk with the Lord. They knew God personally. And they had told, they, they knew what God wanted. It was clear what God had told them to do. There's, you know, and they, there's nobody to try to confuse what God had said because there's no one else. Okay, that, you know, you know this isn't like, you ever played those, those games that, like telephone game, you pass something down, pass it down, pass it down, and it gets all skewered? Okay. Who would skewer it for Adam and Eve? 
No one. There's nobody to pass it down to. So everything you look at, and the point is, he's attacking people that didn't intimidate him. These are good people. By the way, this is, just add to it, who else did he attack that was even superior to Adam and Eve? Jesus Christ. So if, if, if Satan's willing to attack those type of people, what does he look at us like? What, what, kind, of, what kind of prospect are we? Okay. Yeah, exactly. Okay, be on guard. His attacks come at our most vulnerable moments. Okay? What do you look at and see in this text that might say she was vulnerable to his deception? Don't say she's a woman. Okay? She's alone. Okay? The, the implication of the text is she's by herself. Okay? So let's, let's start adding some things. Okay? They are enjoying prosperity. Is it possible that we get our eyes off of God when everything is going great? Does that happen? Of, of all peoples in the world right now, we know that better than most because we enjoy more prosperity than most people as a nation, yes? And so sometimes when our plates get too, so full, we forget who provides those blessings, okay? They had great liberties. Was there many restrictions put on these people? What are the restrictions? Don't eat that tree. Don't eat that tree. What about all the other trees? Basically, you need of everything else, but of that one, then the other tree that he, for, that he later on protects them from. But outside of that, they, they've got tremendous liberties, tremendous opportunities. Is it possible they got used to God? That you take God for granted? Okay. Is it possible in the sense that those are vulnerable moments? Um, can, we, can we warn one another this way? When we're first saved, there's a tremendous sensitivity to the Lord because you're really examining. Have you noticed that after time goes by, you start getting used to things? And some of your examination, my examination, isn't as critical as, it, as, in, as determined as earlier. And so you and I need to be careful of all these things. Now, let's keep on going. Let's make another observation. His attacks are subtle, extremely subtle. He's more subtle than any other beast. Now, I'm not going to be able to answer it. Some of you are better scholars than I. I don't figure, and I don't know exactly, how does the animal talk to them? You know, I would think there had to be something, and this is me, there had to be something different at that time than there is now just by the virtue of the fact that if an animal talked to an intelligent person today, what would that person typically do? Scream and run, okay. If your dog talked to you today, okay, once you woke up, you would take your dog and put him on TV and make millions, okay. You're smart enough to do that, okay. Um, you would take advantage of your dog rather than your dog take advantage of you. So is there different possibilities and the idea that this animal is, going, is told in the curse to be on their, on their belly now? And so the suggestions are Satan was, or the serpent at that time was a different type of creature than what we're used to, you know, a speaking dragon or something. I, I, I don't know. Those are all possibilities. But I do know that he was extremely subtle, very subtle. And here's why we want to just point out some things. I think this part of the subtlety of this text that is often overlooked is the role reversals that happen. Okay, think with me for a moment. Okay, according to the text, 
this text and others, God said, let us make man, let them, mankind now, Adam and Eve, let them have dominion over the fish, cattle, and everything, and over the creeping things. So we know that Adam and Eve, in, as a team, were working together, that they had dominion. As a couple, they had dominion over the animals. Now, we don't read it in Genesis, but we do read it in 1 Timothy that it says, I suffer not a woman to usurp authority over man, and very clearly says Adam was first formed, then Eve that there was a creation order. He talks about it again in 1 Corinthians 11, that man was created and to be first over the woman. I'm going to make an assumption that if he's quoting this in the New Testament saying that he had set up an order at creation, that Adam and Eve knew about this order of creation. Okay? That he quotes about and he talks about that in the, pro in the process of creation that Adam was to lead, not Eve. However, in the temptation, what happens? Who takes the first step? She does, okay? And uh, so when you come back to it, you come back to Genesis, you have that she took the fruit, she gave it also to her husband with her, and he did eat. And he's the one that's held accountable because she was deceived, but he... Yeah, he openly, willingly knew, and God held him accountable for this. And it's through him that the sin is passed on. And so in that sense, and putting it all together, there was a creation order. And by the way, create, in an order of, an order, a role order does not mean she was lesser than him as far as worth. Just like 1 Corinthians 11, Christ submits to the Father. That doesn't make him less God. But in an order of of function, he's below the father, and he says in the same way, the woman is to be underneath the husband, underneath, uh, yeah, underneath her husband. And so, in this case, you have it where the subtlety is coming is changing role reversal. Let's go a little bit further. His approach is very subtle and seems benign at first when he asks the first question. Okay, but as the conversation goes on, he becomes more bold. So he says, in the very beginning, he said, um, the serpent more, more subtle, he said to the woman, did God say you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Seems, it, it seems semi-innocent. It's benign. Okay, it's a simple question. But then as it goes on, you can see his purposes behind him. So in the, in the point of what he's doing, let's make the observations. Desires are involved. The tools that he uses include strong desires. Now, in 1 Timothy 2, we read, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Then you look in Genesis chapter 3 and look at how it's described for Eve. It says, When the woman saw that the food tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired. That almost sounds like this text in 1 John 2. Okay? That threefold desire, that is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and pride of life. And so desires are very strong and involved in here. And then he does a second thing. He deals with doubt. In her mind, and I think this is, this is tremendous how he does this. Um, I, don't, I don't mean in a good way, but it's, it's amazing how he does it. The doubt that he creates, doubt about God and God's word. He gets her to doubt God saying things and God really caring for them. He implies very simply that God doesn't care for you. Watch how this unfolds. Note the exact response in this conversation. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 2, she's asked, did God say that you couldn't eat? She responds, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, 
But go back to Genesis 2. And by the way, the, it's pretty clear in your English and in the Hebrew it's, it matches at Ruah. Go back to Genesis 2.16. What was the exact wording that God used? There's another word missing in her comment that God included when he gave the command. Did you catch it? Chapter 2, verse 16. Of every tree of the garden you may freely, okay, it's the idea that God is, God doesn't hold back. He is giving abundantly. You can eat abundantly. She doesn't say that. Okay, it's something minor, but there's something that's major in here is that she doesn't include that to say God has provided so much. As much as what? This is, this is shady maple on the branch from every tree. She doesn't include that. She just says, well, he's providing food from all the trees. And she's, it's scaling back a little bit. Watch what happens in another statement. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, he, he has said, you shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it. Go back to chapter 2, verse 17. This time she doesn't leave something out, she adds something to it. What is it? Yeah, God never said you can't touch it. She's adding to it. What's that imply? What's it imply that she is trying to make it sound like from God? God is so controlling, he won't even let us get close to it to even touch the thing. There's an impugning of God's character, an impugning of God's provisions. Watch what happens next. This is, a, this is more interesting, and most of us won't catch it until somebody points it out in the original language. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, you shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it. Now in our King James, it reads this way, lest you die. The word lest you die and the word that is used in her comment is a different word that is used in chapter 2, verse 17. In chapter 2, verse 17, God made the comment that for in the day that you eat thereof, you shall... She doesn't use the same word in the, in the original language. Okay, in the original language, it's the word that says, uh, that is pen, or you shall surely, I think I gave you the wrong the wrong, uh, no I didn't, okay. Um, yeah, in the Hebrew, in, in back in chapter 2, verse 17, you shall surely, it's very strong, no doubt. In chapter 3, when she responds, she uses in the Hebrew the idea of pan, which means you might die. What has she just done? She scaled down what God said. She's saying there's the possibility we could get into trouble, there's a possibility, but God had said, the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. So there's a twisting and there's an adding, there's a taking away of what's going on here. And they seem very subtle and very minor, but could they added together be extremely major? God didn't care. God is, God is, you know, God is holding back to some degree. God is, you know, because he's, he's, you know, I'm, I'm going to forget about his free, free and over, overabundant provisions. And God is so restrictive to us, he doesn't even want us to go near it to even touch it. And God said, there's a possibility we might die. All of that is impugning that God isn't serious about this thing. It isn't that bad. It isn't that evil. It isn't that, that big of a problem. And so Satan comes along and he makes the comment about God. He adds to it, attacking God's character. When he says, God, verse 5, God knows that in the day thereof your eyes will be opened and you shall be as God's knowing good and evil. His implication again is God is holding out on you. 
There's something much better. It'll be good if you do what if you do this, you'll be much better off. And you know, and I'm showing you a better way than what God has done. So what's he get Eve to do at this point? This is remind ourselves. She is not precise with God's word. He's accomplished a whole lot. She's getting careless. She minimizes God's provisions. By the way, does this sound like you and me at times? That when we give in, we justify by some of this same type of thought. Okay, she exaggerated his commands as if they're too restrictive, and she's questioning his care and affection. Okay, very subtle. Very, very, very clever the way he is doing this, but this tool, this weapon is repeated an awful lot. This happens to a lot of us a lot of times. Then he openly denies what God has said. He makes it very clear, you shall not surely die. It's interesting, okay, that he quotes it exactly as God said, surely die. It's a different word. Okay, it matches 2.17. She didn't use it, but he does. And so he makes the comment, you shall surely die, and he's denying it. Now let's go a step further. Then he uses deception to go right along with it. The deception is this. The days you, and, and, and look at the true and false. The days you eat, your eyes shall be open. Was that true? There's a truth to this. The day they eat, they're going to see good and evil. Okay? It's going to happen. But the part that's left out or that's wrong is you shall become his gods. Okay? And he's making it sound really good. But he's blending truth and error. Does that ever happen? Does Satan in false religions ever blend truth with error? Oh, all the time. All the time. And so he's using all these different tools, mixing truth and error, so we've got to be very careful, extremely careful with what he's doing. His attack then, <clears throat> let's make these, these observations that we've mentioned. Good people, vulnerable times, very subtle. This we need to keep in mind. It is deadly. If we listen to Satan's attacks, if we fall for them, it is really serious. God holds us accountable for it. And in this case, we know that what happened is there is all these consequences. Well, in fact, let's, let's just see if we can just remember, remind ourselves. What were some of the consequences to Adam and Eve, to everything around them, because they disobeyed in such a small way as eating the fruit? Kicked out of the garden. Okay, and, and all of a sudden animal sacrifices come in. Death enters into the world by, with the animal sacrifices. What else happens? Okay, no, God's not walking with them. Okay, they saw guilt. They, okay, I don't understand this one. You, there's, this is one of those texts that it says, okay, they were ashamed because they were naked. Does anybody have, and I'm not trying to be weird about this or, or crass, does that ever strike you odd? They've always been naked. They've always been naked. And again, I don't mean to be crass, but between husband and wife, the, how much more pointed do I want to say this? You know, okay. What was the shame factor? What was, what's that? Their purity is gone. What exactly this all involved, I don't understand. You probably can understand it better, but that's one of those questions, exactly how did that, what was that all about? But it was there. It was, there was shame came right away, and, it had, and there was shame that they covered up, okay? Um, consequences, what happened to their work? Got harder, okay. What happened to, to Eve? Um, 
pain and suffering, and there's a word that's used there that's interesting. Yeah, what does it say about the pain in childbirth? What, what did you say, somebody? It's increased, which implies what? Yeah, though it wasn't like you're going to have a baby and there's not going to be any pain whatsoever, but now it's intensified. Okay, anything else with Adam and Eve? Physical death, spiritual death, um, his, the stronger desires, okay? The snake, the world, how was it affected? Okay, nobody likes, well, maybe you're the, how many here think snakes are really cool or just, how many of us would say, let's, Kevin, you would like snakes? Does he have a pet snake at home? Your husband. He's raving his hand really broad. He thinks snakes are really cool. He's, he's, he's a strange man. Yeah. I'm saying it in front of you, brother. Okay. How, many of us, how many of us would say, I will go the other way if I see a snake? Okay, okay, there's no, there's, that's, that was one way. Where the kids were swimming in a river. There was one way to get them out when they didn't want to get out. And it was like, there's a snake in the water. <laughs> yeah, and there was. There actually was. There was a snake down there. Not in the river. At, you know, it was nearby. It was enough to get them out of the water. Um, so those things, let, let's just see what we list here. Shame and guilt, death and separation, okay? Death physically, the spiritual separation, separated from God. The ground is cursed, right? Um, physical challenges, their work is going to change drastically. They're exiled from Eden, okay? So the point is that when we sin, there's consequences. And what's emphasized in the text is it wasn't them alone, What's that old phrase? No man is an... Yeah, okay. In Adam and Eve's case, when they sinned, who's affected by it? Okay. So we, if we're going to blame anybody... Oh, and by the way, speaking of blaming people, how quickly did it start? Right away. Why do you say that? It's the woman you gave me. Okay, didn't take them long to do that one, right? Okay, and so it, it happens right away that their sin is passed on. Now, what does it all mean for you and me? Okay, let's, let's try to bring this together. Okay, we need to be wise. Okay, he warns us, be not ignorant of Satan's devices. This is the way he attacks us. Doubt, deceit, denial, questioning God's care. You, you've been there. You know what I'm talking about. It's happened to you. Where these types of attacks come and you're, you're like, wow, you know, is the Lord really hearing me? Is the Lord really here? That's why that one song just keeps in my head. It's, it's such, he is always good, he is only good. The tune is important to keep in mind for me to just remember to reflect upon God's faithfulness. So we need to be on guard because of all the things. Now from the story, can you see any grace? Can you see any good that God does to Adam and Eve after they have rebelled and sinned against him? Okay, he what's that? Oh, that's a profound thought. He didn't wipe them out, right? He could have done and start over, okay? He didn't. Now, this is, there's, there's grace. Where else is there grace? What's that? He gave them clothes. Appropriate clothes. What did he do to give him clothes? He killed an animal, which in, indicates what else? The sacrifice. And by the way, what did he say? The day that you eat, you shall surely 
die. Okay, what, what does he bring right into the race to help cover men, men's sin? He brings death, the picture of death. What else do you do that's gracious? Oh, yeah, 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 absolutely. He, chapter 3, verse 15. 3.15. I didn't even think about this. What, is, what prophecy does he give? Christ's prophecy. The serpent shall do what? Bruise, your, bruise the, the seed that you're going to have, Eve. The serpent shall, yeah, but he shall crush the head. Okay, so he's, he's giving already from the very beginning. This is the proto-euangelion, the first, this is the prototype of the gospel. The very first mention, prediction of, of a Messiah coming to take care of sin. Good. Anything else that he did? That's grace. Yeah. Do you remember? Uh, I'm looking for the text. Do you have it there, Joe? Um, it's further on the text. Okay, here it is. Down to verse 23. Therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the Garden of Eden to till the ground uh, from whence he was taken. So he drove man out of the, uh, he drove out the man and he placed at the east of the garden, what? Why? To keep him away from what? The other tree of, the tree of life. Okay. Which is the, this, the conclusion is that Probably if they ate of that other tree, they would have been, yeah, eternally um, destined to be in that sinful state. That tree of eternal life type thing that you eat it and then all of a sudden they couldn't change. They couldn't be converted is, the, is what most scholars conclude that what he is. Is that grace to protect them from greater danger ahead? Yeah, all the way through the story you got grace that's showing. Okay, despite what Satan has done, the removal that God takes him, you know, takes him out of there, providing the clothing, you mentioned that, and how he had provided the clothing and covering their guilt, and, uh, you know, picturing what you're supposed to be doing. Excuse me, what they're supposed to be doing. But in this whole sequence of events, here's what we've got, okay? Satan opposing God, men listening to Satan, men being judged, penalized, God is extending grace, and then predicting the greatest thing that was already mentioned, chapter 3, verse 15, the prediction of Jesus Christ. So what does it mean to you and me? The story brings us all the way, brings us right back to 2018, how we need Christ. We must have Christ. We need him because we are in a real bad situation. Just as one man, sin entered into the world and all became dead, became dead by one man, Grace abounds so that we get mercies of God. We need Christ. Man, we need Christ. Every day we need Christ. Not to get saved over and over, but that fellowship with Christ is so, so important. So as we reflect upon that in our worship this morning, let's remind ourselves about how much we need Christ. Folk, do miracles still happen today? Look at your watch. <laughs> Look at the, if you don't have a watch, look at the clock back there. I am done early. <laughs> Miracles still happen. Yeah, praise the Lord. Take advantage of it. Do some fellowship.